This is Flowers on the Stage. Lamp has been an interesting one because uh, Russ Ray and I recorded a record in like 2018 or so. And then everybody was really busy in 2018. And then kind of halfway to towards the end of 2019, we all went back and listened to the record individually again. And we all said, you know, that record that we made last year is really kind of holding up really well, which is a rare thing. Like not always, uh, it doesn't always go that way when you make a record, you know, you can think it's awesome. And then you hear it a year later and you're like, yeah, it was all right, you know. So it's really nice when one really holds up. And anyway, at that point in mid 2019, we sort of reconvened and got a momentum going and an enthusiasm happening where we say, you know, this 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 really holds up and, and this would be really great to, you know, see how it feels to uh, get it out there to the world and, and see how it feels in front of some people. Cause we never played any of the songs uh, in person. You know, we only played together that one time in the studio, the, that material, you know, and it was like a three-day session in 2018. And so we finally got it together and uh, we had some gigs booked for 2020, like early to mid-2020. And yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, those didn't happen. No gigs happened in early to mid-2020. And instead of trying to do like a live stream or something like this, we just decided, let's wait for the real thing for for this project, you know? So then like, it was the same thing, you know, it, it, that happened twice to us. It happened once in kind of early-ish 2020. And then again, at the end of, I guess it was 2021 going into 2022. And there was like some new variant that went around uh, and everybody had to cancel everything again uh, at the end of the year. So it was like twice you know we we were so close and the second time the shows were all announced and everything like you know people were psyched to hear what it was going to be so that was really pretty uh heartbreaking and it was just like this big collective like uh you know uh, we got shut down again but i think that that second time of getting shot down really gave us a collective you know enthusiasm for when mm -hmm. we were going to get the opportunity to finally do it and Man, last year, I think we did about rough, you know, ballpark 20 shows in 2023. And man, I wouldn't change a thing. Like all 20 shows were, it was just great. It was just great. Like everything about the shows felt great. Everything about the hang feels great. Um, you know, I love playing with those guys. The audiences have been um, super enthusiastic and like you know there have been you know really uh, great turnouts for everything and um yeah so i guess that the current chapter with with uh with lamp is just kind of we're, we're going we're doing it we've got a couple of shows announced next year in march in colorado and there's like a whole slew more that uh i was just doing the emailing with the booking agent uh, a minute ago like there's going to be a substantial amount of gigs Nice. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, and it feels great to 
I've never really had an original project that's come out of the gates so strong, you know, 20 gigs in. And, you know, I think about 15 of those were sellout gigs or something like some ridiculous ratio of, of the gigs have been sellouts. And every show, regardless of whether or not it was sold out or anything, was very, very, very enthusiastic crowd response, as well as a response from the three of us. You know, we're coming off stage every night being like, oh, man, that part that you did this or whatever, you know, and, and, and just like we're really, I think all three of us are really big fans of one another's playing. Um, and, and that's a crucial part of, of the thing to, to keep it, uh, keep enthusiasm up. So what is the lamp origin story? Right. It's actually, uh, the booking agent, it was the booking agent's idea. It's one of these rare instances where the, the band members didn't think of the idea. Um, Russ Ray and I obviously knew each other just peripherally uh, from running into each other at uh, festivals here and there, the way musicians do. You know, you you know, you have some, I don't know, um, a pulled pork sandwich, you know, at some festival in Indiana or something together in catering, and you say, "Oh, you know, great seeing you. See you around. We ought to play sometime." You know, and then it just never happens. You know, of course. Because um, everybody's schedules are so busy. Um, and then, you know, it had come up a couple of times, like, oh, yeah, we ought to play. You know, I'll see you around. Okay, you know, and everybody's just busy. And when that, that never happened. And then uh, our booking, we were both on the booking, same booking agency at the same, at the time. Uh, this guy, Pat May, was booking all of us. And it was his idea to um, get us all together. He was like, you guys really should do it. And, and I think that all of us were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should do that. And he was like, no, don't just say you're going to do it. Like, let me make it happen for you guys. And he he booked us a, a small a one night gig at Nectar's, you know, in early 2018, which was when we all had this aha moment where we were like, oh, the three of us playing together really works and is really easy. And we didn't have any material. We just sort of improvised and I learned a few of their their songs, uh, the Soul Monday songs, and they mm -hmm. learned a few of the Wolf songs that I brought to the table. And then um, when we decided that we wanted to make a record, we wrote the record uh, remotely with uh, Russ sending around drum parts and Ray would put down a chord progression or a melody or something and then he would send it to me, and, which we were kind of ahead of the curve. Because two years later in 2020 and 2021, everybody had to, everybody was forced to record remotely. Um, mm. so, so we did that, you know, we, we wrote the tunes in 2018 remotely. And then we recorded them all together in the summer of 2018. I hope I'm getting that right. It was somewhere around there up in Vermont. Well, shout out Pat never, May. Pat yeah, May. Pat May. He, yeah. Man. He did, he did it, man. He, he, he nailed Let's it. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. So last time, Scott, we talked a little bit about sobriety. I'd love to hear, other than being productive, how you'd say sobriety's influenced you as a musician. Uh, 
Oh my God. I mean, I don't really even know. I would, I, we could just talk for the rest of the 45 minutes about this. Uh, I won't, but I could. And that's how enormous of an impact being uh, sober has had on me, not just as a musician, really, but just as a human being and like my entire life experience. Um, but I guess, you know, if I had to hit like some, some of the top bullet points, of, of uh, what I think sobriety brings to the table for me is, um, you know, one, I'm just very reliable, like in, in very fundamental things, you know, um, I'm very consistent in terms of, you know, when I show up, I'm always the same guy. It's not like I'm showing up one day and fine. And then the next day showing up like wildly hungover and can't, you know, perform to the same level that I could the day before. Um, and and consistency becomes a very big thing when you're, I've been a musician now for 25 years, you know, and it's not cool to, you know, I wouldn't be a musician for that long if I was showing up and I was like, one day I played great. And then like the next three days I sucked. And then the next day I was like, incredible. And then I was like, kind of okay. The next day, like there's a sort of a lane that I can stay in. I can show up and I can, you know, perform to a certain um, degree every time. Um, I mean, that's just one thing, um, you know, just obviously, I mean, I think that one of the obvious ones is sort of, I'm just much more present um, for everything in life. You know, uh, I'm not, I think that, when I was using or what I see people when they're playing, if someone is is on something or or I know that for me, when I was under the influence of stuff, I could get into playing something and I could really be sure like this is, I would just be so into it, you know, without taking any consideration into is like, is this even like appropriate to be playing right now at all? It was just kind of a, a total, free for all, all in kind of thing. And, and uh, I was just like, oh, fuck it. You know, like we're doing this and this is, this is, this is it, you know? And, and now being, having 18 years of, of being sober under my belt, I'm so aware of like my surroundings and like what's happening. And, and uh, you know, I can kind of take pause even in the middle of like a, a very high energy moment with a lot of action happening, I can kind of take a step out into the audience almost and just hear what's happening. And, and sort of, it, it all happens on a very deep level. It's not like necessarily actively thinking, it's more of a feeling thing, mm -hmm. but I can really feel in the moment. And, and, and I think um, appropriately, you know, I'm not on some like wild emotional roller coaster that, is being controlled by like whatever I took 20 minutes before I walked on stage. You know, mm. um, that's I mean, you know, and, and I could go on and on and on, but, but really to me, the, the sobriety thing is I'm convinced that like, um, being sober is kind of like the most wild, you know, um, 
like psychedelic experience you could imagine like i'm just so like in awe of this whole thing like we're like all even here and this is happening and like you know just life in general and music the gift that music is you know like i, I don't i'm good like i don't need anything to, to uh to bump that up is that is that something that's like surprises you like because you know i feel like you know people in in party scenes you think about being sober and that that feels like boring and so like what you just said the awe and you know it seems like you know you're loving life like is that something that you didn't expect entering into it all well yeah i mean entering into it i didn't know which way it was up you know entering if we're talking about entering into sobriety i mean it was just like okay just get from tuesday to wednesday <laughs> you know and then i'll worry about the rest of it like on thursday you know, like I'll start it all over on Thursday and then get from Thursday to Friday. You know, it was like these super small, um, bite-sized um, little challenges, really, every day. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I couldn't I couldn't see this far out. You know, at the beginning for sure, because eighteen years is a long time. I mean, if I had a kid the day that I got sober, the kid would be like driving and going to college now. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, now I see people like taking stuff and I don't make any sort of judgment at all. Like I get it. And, you know, there's no, you know, it's your thing and, and everybody should do whatever they want to do. And everyone's in different places in life. But I see people taking stuff before gigs and stuff. And I'm always kind of like, man, kind of selling yourself short by doing it in a way for me. Mm. You know, like I would, you know, I know that I would if I were to take you know, some sort of substance before playing now, I would really miss out on a huge part of the emotional fulfillment that music uh, has to offer. Mm. Mm. This is Flowers on the Stage, a podcast about being creative and finding success. To support it, please check out our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing, Thrax CBD, and Ticket Relief, the ticketing company that plants trees with a portion of each ticket sold. And now back to the episode. Jumping a little bit to the side, can you tell me like the backstory of you deciding with your life to go all in on music? Yeah, um, I didn't really, you know, it, it just kind of was like a thing of a feeling, honestly. Um, there was probably like a week there or something, you know, in there like in 2009 or something where I was like, maybe I should try and get a job. I mean, but, but for me, that was always, uh, it, it, it just doesn't seem realistic. Uh, for me, it was just, um, it just wasn't really an option. Like I couldn't really picture life not being a musician. Um, how old were you when that became your frame of mind? Yeah, well, I got obsessed with music pretty early, like 16, you know, 14, 15, 16 was right around when I started playing the guitar. And it was like, I was all in, you know, it was parents like super supportive. Parents were super supportive. I think a little nervous, but supportive, you know, um, and that's how parents should be. If somebody tells them they're going into the going to be a musician you know it's 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 risky um from a parental standpoint but um 
Yeah, very supportive. You know, there were there were some years though. You know, I mean, it, I sort of made up my mind at, at one point. A few years after I got sober, I was like, well, look, you know, because I was playing gigs all over New York, but it, there were very small gigs and not a whole lot of uh, pay, you know, involved. And I made up my mind in like 2009 or so, ten that like I'm gonna I'm I'm cool with it if this is it. Like if I just play around small clubs and you know, I'm not like a, a star or something or whatever, like the music is enough for me. And if I got to, you know, if I live like this poor life and, and, and that's, that's fine. Like I definitely remember thinking to myself, like coming to terms with, I'm cool with this. If, mm -hmm. if this is it, you know, the, and I still feel that way, you know, like, you know, the big gigs, it, it's all, it's all amazing. And I feel like very fortunate to be a part of, the things that I'm a part of, but at the end of the day, the best feeling still is like, you know, working on something on the guitar and like, you know, you're working on something for weeks and weeks. And you're like, God damn, like I can't, why does this not feel right? It's not feel right. And then you have that time where it all clicks and you have the aha moment and you have, you can go to bed that night being like, Oh man, I did it. Like I, I had, I, I got it. You know, I mean, that's, that's worth more than any, you know, that'll give you uh, a lot more sustainability than any paycheck or any, hmm. you know, that's the best part of the whole thing still. Talking more about your creative process, you know, maybe you do or don't have an actual process, but what's something you, you stay away from doing creatively that you think has helped you be successful? Do I stay away from, I try to stay away from um, doing what everyone else is doing, for sure. Like I, if, if everyone is into a certain kind of guitar playing or a certain guitarist or, or a certain piece of gear, I'll certainly check those things out because I feel like, you know, it's what I do for a living and I need to be aware of what's going on. But if I'm not feeling it, I'm not gonna like feel like that, oh, I, I need to I need to learn how to do this, to stay in the game or something. Um, uh, you know, I, I, and I actively, I definitely think that part of the reason that I have been in the game for as long as I have is because of that. You know, there's been plenty of people that have coming on and, you know, that I've seen and come into the scene and lots of people be like, oh, he's the, they're the next, you know, so-and-so, or they sound just like, they sound like so-and-so, you know, and that doesn't always last. Those people don't always stick around, you know, mm. but it's the people that have something slightly different to say. And I, I think that that for me has been a, but I think to actively not um, take what I know might work because it's sort of tempting, you know, when you can play and you're like, oh, I, I know if I dropped a solo that sounded like this person here, I know they'd all dig it, you know, and it's easy to be tempted by that. And it takes character and it takes, you know, sort of, again, that perspective we were talking about with the sobriety to not do that for me. Mm. Yeah, I feel like creatively, there's, you're always trying to create something new, you know, it's a new song. 
and we're branching out, growing. That's not always growing to be the same thing, just a different version. It's growing to be different in some way. And I'd love to hear you somehow try to answer how you see your style evolving, how you see yourself as an artist evolving over, you know, not only the short term future, but over the next five, 10, 20 years, how you, how you maybe see yourself shifting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I see myself as a culmination of all the people that I have decided to check out, you know, I just check out people that are pretty under the radar. Like I do a lot of research and I become fans of people that are not household names uh, to everyone. Um, and it's a process, you know, it's a process of going through and kind of biting off stuff that I like and learning how to play things that I hear and I relate to. And then slowly, and it can take years sometimes of playing things. And then slowly there's a moment where it's like, oh wait, I just did it a slightly different way or came at it from a slightly different angle. And now it's all of a sudden that's sort of a Scott Metzger thing, hmm. you know? And it was a funny moment, actually. It was kind of, it was kind of crazy. I, uh, I did a gig. You're just making, I haven't thought about this, but you're making me realize it now that there was a, a, a pretty big moment exactly like that for me just a few weeks ago. I played with a guy who's definitely a hero of mine, um, Nels Klein, who's a guitar, he's, a, you know, he's like a guitar, he's on the Mount Rushmore of electric guitar players, as far as I'm concerned. And he um, sort of has this sound that's like very wiggly, like he sort of does this move where he'll hit the string back by the bridge. So it's kind of a very tinny sound. And then he plays a jazz master with a, um, with a whammy bar on it. And he kind of goes nuts on the whammy bar real quick. So it gives this very fast vibrato sound, like very like wiggly kind of sound. And um, I play a Telecaster most of the time, which does not have the whammy bar. But I sort of came up with this way of figuring the note and then jumping back and forth very quickly between two frets. It's like very like aggressive. It's like it gets quick sort of slide. the same sound. Yeah, as opposed to it's so it's basically my version of doing the whammy bar thing that he does. Anyway, we were playing and we were both soloing at the same time. And we both did the same move at the same moment. It was like we both were hearing the thing going to the same place and, and it was like it was like this this streams crossed for a second. And we both did this thing and he did his version of it and he did mine and we both just looked at each other and laughed, you know, it was an amazing, amazing moment for me to kind of be like, oh, wow, we did it. Cause, cause I definitely, I think that that evolved out of listening to him as much as I had, you know, and I came up with this version of that sound that I associated with him, but it was sort of a, a slightly different way of getting that sound, you know? Um, and I, I guess, you know, I just, I just continue to try and, and follow, you know, it's a slow process of coming up with, I, I, I have no idea what I, what my sound or style is, or if I have a sound or a style, but it's just a very slow process of enjoying the process. And, um, 
you know, not trying to feel rushed, not, not being in a hurry about it and just letting things come out naturally. And over the course of years, that happens. Hmm. You know? What are the most important things that, that you've come to learn throughout your career about what makes a great leader of a group? To me, I like the idea of, well, everybody's got to feel essential in the band. I want everybody in the band feeling like if they weren't there, this would not be the same and this would not be as good. And, you know, I, I want everybody walking out feeling like their thing is there for a reason, you know? Um, and and that we're all in it together you know not that there's us and them you know like everybody needs to have their moments where they can step out and they can like shine and you know their their thing is really highlighted um but uh that we're all moving together you know in in this and the thing, because there's only two things in a, at a concert, you know, there's two, essentially two things happening. There's a vibe in the audience, and then there's a vibe on stage. All the rest is just detail, you know, and a good show is when those two things sort of line up, you know, I think, um, and get in sync. But you can't really force it. Like, you have to be in the band, you have to be willing to sort of hold the line and being like, being like you know, we're doing our thing. And it's sort of us versus them. Like, let's go. You know, like we're going to get it. And um, and so just just checking in with everybody. You know, not even actively, but just when you know when you check in with people in between, either in between songs or just eye contact. You know, just letting everybody know like we're cool. Like we're doing it. We're we're still in it together. Mm. You know? Especially when it's not going well. That's like crucial. If people start getting angry or, you know, if it start getting frustrating up there, it can be tough to get it back together, you know. Um, and I think the other thing as a band, you know, I've been doing a lot of trio gigs. And one of the things that I think about a lot is how everyone should be given the opportunity to like, I want somebody in the audience to leave with uh, on their mind on their mind is wow the guy that I had never seen before in this band is now my favorite musician you know like I want somebody to discover their new favorite musician at a gig mm. that I'm on and and not me you know what I mean I don't mean me <laughs> you know that'd be weird but. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, I want it to be like a celebration of what everybody that, I, uh, that I'm on stage with can do. And, you know, I play with some fucking amazing people, you know. And half the time I'm, half the time I'm on stage, you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm on stage. And I could just, like, look around and I could be like, man, I can't believe I get to play with this person. You know, like, what a, this is fucking amazing that this is what I get to do. Mm. You know, and there's people here to see it, and we're gonna like make, you know, we all make a couple of bucks. And I mean, like, like living a dream. So, 
you know, the other side of that coin, there's, there's being a great leader. And then there's, you know, times you're not the leader and it's, it's being a great, you know, teammate. What have you learned is most important with that? Again, I think the support thing, you know, kind of what I was saying uh, before, the supporting, the supportive role of, of being, um, you know, letting whoever is in charge know, like, we're good. I got you. You know, like, I know what's going on. We're cool. Um, you know, now this is all very heady talk to. I'm, I'm leaving out, like, all the technical stuff. Like, if you're supporting somebody, if you're on somebody else, like, you have to know the music, like, like, I want to know the music backwards and forwards. And, you know, like, there's just, I can't be walking out on stage on somebody else's gig and being like, oh, my God, what's the third chord in the bridge? Like, I don't do that. I, to me, gigs are made or broke in the preparation stage. Once you get to the state, once you get to the mm -hmm. stage, it's too late. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, if you don't know the third chord in the bridge by the time you get there, just like, don't play it. Like, don't try and figure it out on the fly. Like, that's not cool. You know, like somebody else will have it and then go back to the hotel that night and learn it <laughs> and have it for tomorrow. Um, but that's a big thing with me. The preparation thing is enormous for me, you know? I mean, I prepare way harder than I, than I you know, I saw an interview with Michael Jordan once where he said, man, you think I play hard on the court? Like you should see me in practice. And he, and he swore, you know, that he, he practiced like five times harder than he played in um, on the court. And I always, I always remembered that. I was like, man, there's a big lesson there, you know? Um, totally. But yeah, I, I, you know, anyway, uh, kind of got off track there, but I think just being supportive and, and, um, you know, really, really figuring out if somebody um, asked me to come and play, I like to know what it was that I do that made them want me. You know, like what aspect of my playing is it that, you know, because there's a lot of guitar players around <laughs> and everybody sounds great at this point. Like, you know, it's not that big of a deal to be a guitar player who sounds good anymore. I mean... Mm -hmm. You know, look on YouTube or Instagram. I mean, everybody, you know, everybody can play great. So if somebody asked me to be there, I, I am curious. I like to try and put out the feelers to like figure out why, you know, why me? What, what was it? And I, you know, and then lean into that a little bit. Um, mm. Jumping to the side, I'd love to hear something that you now today believe that you didn't believe when you were younger. about about life <laughs> about life well well i i think just just being real is uh the most paramount thing in life period like don't try and fool people about anything you know um just don't try too hard Maybe that's a good way to say it. Like, just don't try too hard to be anything that you're not, or just don't try too hard, period. Like, work How do you hard. contrast that with the MJ quote, though? Well, yeah, I was just going to say, like, work hard in, in private, you mm. know, and, 
and know your stuff and know who you are and know what it is you want to do and know your like philosophy about, you know, you know, know where you stand, know who you are. But then when you get out there, just let your, you know, let your work and let your, um, you know, what you have to offer, let that stand on its own. Don't. Mm -hmm. Trying too hard is, uh, it just gets embarrassing <laughs> for everybody. So you're saying you can try too hard, but in private. Yeah. Well, I think, I, well, I think you got to know though, too. I mean, I think you got to know when you're trying too hard and when you're trying hard enough that you're, you're improving yourself. Cause I think there's a, there's a difference, mm. you know, like for example, if I'm, if we're, talking about music once i learn something say if there's a piece of music that i'm struggling with and then i i work for x amount of time on it and i can do it i don't want to continue to work on that i want to check in on it and know that i can still do it but if I, once i learn something then it's pointless to spend hours and hours and hours continuing to work on it you know once i get that i want to move on to the next thing so you got to know when you've worked enough and when you're not working too much. And it's just like a feeling, you know, you just learn by doing it. Um, you know, it's not in a book somewhere because everybody's so wildly different. You know. What piece of advice do you think old Scott would, would give to you today if they had the chance? I'm not sure. Old Scott's... Uh, very very different <laughs> than who i am now and i i think um i mean old scott is oh you mean like an old guy physically gandalf scott <laughs> dude i'm already old i'm getting older you mean older <laughs> scott um i see what you're saying yeah mm -hmm. um well I'm, I'm not sure maybe just like uh, maybe take a little bit of your own advice and don't work too hard. You know, like give yourself a break, like the, remind yourself the importance of just like, you know, um, how important it is to just get away from work stuff and, you know, and just really enjoy yourself, mm -hmm. which I'm working on. I'm working on it. So you already got that message. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got the message, but it's easier said than done for me. I'd love to hear who the first artist was that that spoke to you and made you want to pick up a guitar, like, and what about their music it was that that sparked that. This is funny because I've talked about this a lot, and um, the first it was very strange. Like, I grew up in this super tiny town in in New Jersey, the Lambertville, New Jersey. And I went to the smallest public high school in all of the Northeast, right? I went to a public high school and I graduated with like 30 kids in my class. Mm. It was like tiny, tiny school. And nobody really, there were really like, there were no other real, nobody else was really that interested in music, really. There were some kids that, you know, we would like smoke weed and listen to Hendrix records and stuff. And, and, and that was, you know, that was great. And that was like very um, um, informative to me, you know, like learning about music that was out there. But the first somehow, and I couldn't really tell you how 
this tape came into my orbit, but there was this, there was this, uh, there's a great classic um, blues record label called Alligator Records. And if you look it up, you know, it's like a really important, in the blues world, it's like a really important label, especially from the, like, you know, let's say 70s to the 90s. And there was a record on that label called Sun Seal by a guy named Sun Seals, and it's called Live and Burning. It's a live record from a small Chicago blues club. And man, it is such an awesome recording. Like, you could just hear like how gross the bar was, you know, and how like sticky the floors were in this place that they were playing. Like, it's like such a juke joint feeling kind of recording. And there was something about the way that that guy played guitar on that record. I mean, it's like total like caveman stuff. Like, it sounds like he's just like, you know, got a, got a 330, gives a 335, plugged directly into an amp, no pedals or anything. He plays with his thumb, so he's not playing anything flashy, you know, but it's like all heart and, oh my God. I mean, I still hear it and I can like barely take it. Like, it's just so good. I mean, you know, it's amazing. But on that record, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people, uh, you know, in your fan base are, are Fish fans. On that record is the original version of Funky Bitch, which you know, then becomes a, like a fish staple, which sounds nothing like, you know, I mean, when Mike Gordon sings it, it's a little different <laughs> than when Sun Seals does it. And, uh, but I was amazed when I found out the fish played it years later, because I, I was not like, fish was not on my radar at all in high school. So when I found out that they played it, I was like, what are you talking about? It's like this like beyond obscure album that came out on this tiny blues label like I, i've always wanted to talk to somebody in the band about like how did that come to be because it's super random that uh, they played that song can we check it out oh man it's it's just so good i mean it's you know it's exactly what it sounds like it's a blue it's like a live blues record there's like 10 songs on it and they're all technically speaking they're just like one four five they're just it's a blues record that's it un <laughs> unapologetically live record live blues record but for that style of playing and stuff for me that's a really really special record for me and made me want to you know made me want to learn how do you how do you do that i'd love to hear what aspect of music right now is like most appealing to you and like what specifically what aspect of music you like appreciate most currently Rhythm, that's easy. Just playing with a good feel, listening for people to see if what they're playing is rhythmically thought about or, um, you know how we, we all have the feeling of, uh, we've said things that we haven't meant mm. in the past. And you go back and, and you, you know, you, you, you can say, man, why, what was I thinking? Like, why did I say that? You know, but once it's out, you can't, that's it. You know, it's like you said it and that's, that's it. Um, we all know that feeling. And for me, that's what I'm trying to get away from in playing. I'm trying to cut down those moments 
as as much as possible. I want to take away as many notes as I can where where I, when I hear myself back, I'll be like, man, why did I play that? Like, you know, so it's kind of like this editing. I'm constantly self-editing, you know, over the years, trying to get down to just like the essential thing that I'm trying to say musically. And what I'm finding is 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 that the rhythm where where phrases and notes sit in the rhythm are becoming the main culprit of that. Because when I don't know what I'm trying to say is when I kind of get weird on the rhythm and things like don't sit right. And it pulls pulls the listener out for a second, you know, the listener can. But if everything that I'm playing or someone is playing is right in the pocket and like really, you know, it's there for a reason. And like there's a pause here and it's because of a reason. And it's like, you know, and it's because it's part of telling the story. Um, man, I mean, you can get away with any notes you know, playing any, any, it doesn't matter, like, you know, what scale or notes are correct or whatever, man, if it's like put in the right place with the right volume up against what everybody else is playing, like anything will be believable. Hmm. Well, man, Scott, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me, everyone out there. Got a link in the description. Keep up with Lamp and you know, J-Rad, everything Scott's got going on. Scott, man, thanks again for taking the time. I got one last question for you. I figured you, you would. Thanks for having me so much. It was great. What advice can you share with all of us about living a life you can look back on and feel proud about? Yeah, you got to, I guess, you know, I guess just go with your gut and be gentle with yourself. Um, you know, in the long, in the long run, like everybody, I don't think that when I was younger, I, I, I don't think I allowed myself to make any mistakes or to be human. You know, I'd really get, be very, very hard on myself when I was younger. And that started sort of this really tough cycle. And, uh, we're all just, all just human beings and, uh, trying to figure this thing out, doing our best. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you follow your gut, your intentions are good and, you know, you just, you know, you just uh, do what you can. Then uh, it all, you know, you'll be all right. <laughs>